Even in some of your darkest moments, when you make mistakes, you have got to stick around for the two things that the mistake is made for. Every failure is made for. Every misstep is made for. It is made for a lesson and a blessing. Them two things follow every single one of them, every single time. God don't send down rain without a return. When he send down rain, flowers grow. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. Back <laughs> mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. That's, that's the world's greatest arena. I've never even seen a game at the Garden. Anthony for three. The highest level for performances. Michael Jordan. The highest level of entertainment. In the world's the Mecca. For us to come to the to the Mecca, but we're not entertaining, we're not, you know, dancing, we're not singing, we're teaching financial literacy, but it's a vibe. Started in Houston. We did the Apollo. What's the pinnacle of, of performance? It's MSG. This is hands down going to be my best show. I know it's a heavy ass to tell people to come to New York, so I wanted to make it the best show that they've been to in the last five years. Banners will be hung. <laughs> Banners will be hung. Oh, I'm in New York. Yes. yes. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Y'all don't know. Uh... Make some noise. Make some noise. Yeah. All right. Yes. Yes. Because y'all don't clap no more. Because everybody got a camera. So y'all don't do no damn clapping no more. I don't appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I'm from that, I'm from that old generation where, you know, you didn't have no phone cameras. You came out, everybody clapped for you. I didn't feel none of that just now. So. <laughs> But I'm good, though. Thank y'all. Thank you very much. So, this is going to be a... First of all, you see this room. You've performed in front of thousands of people before. But you've seen arenas packed for sports. You've seen arenas packed for comedy shows. You've seen arenas packed to see celebrities talk about their movie. Have you ever seen something like this for financial litters? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I didn't know that we would ever get to this. You know, I had hoped. You know, we'll pay a lot of money for entertainment. We'll pay top dollar to see our favorite artists. But when it comes to investing in yourself, back in the day, it just didn't happen like this. This is an amazing thing to see, 12,000 people, you know, who, who are trying to invest in themselves. And the other impressive thing about it is so many young people. You know, it's, it's a lot of young people in here, man. And that's, 
that's a great testament as to where we're headed as a people and what you two brothers have accomplished in a very, very short period of time. You filled a void that was so needed. That was such a thirst for what you had. Because young people need information. They need information, man. And that's what you all have managed to do. Thank you. So we're about to have a powerful conversation. So I want to start this conversation off with the power of partnerships, the power of collaboration. And um, what better way to start it than us? And first and foremost, I want to thank you because when we met you, it was a crazy connection that we had right away. We spent two hours talking before the podcast, an hour, two and a half hours during the podcast, an hour after the podcast. So we spent like the whole day with him. And um, at the end, he was like, you know, I really like you guys a lot and we're going to make a lot of money together. And, you know, I told Troy that um, our lives would never be the same after that. And I just had that feeling. And it only took a couple of months for you to honor your word and to actually work with us. And this is the first joint venture, hopefully of many more to come that we've done. So I tell that story because it's important to the power of collaboration, the power of seeing value in something, the power in partnerships, and the power and understanding of working together. That's something that we have to do more on on every level, on a high level, on a small level, wherever you're at, you're only gonna go so far by yourself. So let me ask you this, what made you wanna work with us? What made you, what did you see in us? And why did you think that the, you know, the value of collaborative efforts are important? Well, first of all, this generation of young people are probably our brightest collection of minds to come along since I've been alive. Now, I'm older than most people in here. You know, I'm 65, so I'm, I know, I know. It's, it's just, <laughs> I know you can't believe it because the, the pimp just drips all the time. <laughs> but this, you young people are the brightest generation to come along in my lifetime. If I don't invest in you, if I don't see you two and be able to see something in you and invest, I'm, I'm doing a discredit to the future of us, especially people of color. It is important, man, that we take the time out to recognize the young people who are gifted and willing to put in the work. But then it's a, I gotta give credit to you two too, because as smart as you are as this younger generation, Please don't discredit old people, because old people have something, man. Old people paid to get to a spot that you're trying to get to. So you got to remember something about old. Old is the goal. So while you're sitting up there and, you're, and the people may not be as tech savvy as you, they still have something to bring to the table. And I think that joining together with young forces and then putting the old head in the mix I mean, look, this is not just cause of me. You know, this is a collective effort of you and your team. But last year was 3,500 people. This year you got 12,000. You understand? <laughs> Them numbers, man. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously you're, you're a generational talent. I knew you from doing the Apollo 
my son knows you and my daughter knows you from watching Family Feud. And so you've had trials and tribulations, but you've had success. When we look at this, obviously we had 4,500 people last year, we got 12,000 this year. People would see this like, obviously this is successful. From your viewpoint, from your illustrious career, what's the key to success though? How do we get it? How do we maintain it? How do we sustain it? Well, here's, here's, here's what happens. Because of Instagram now and social media, you see these highlight reels of each other and you see uh, a person showing their best bag, their best shoe, their best pose, and it's usually on their best filter. <laughs> what I wish the younger generation would pick up is the work ethic that actually has to happen. See, the key to being successful is planting. You've got to plant. Now, when you plant seeds, young people, you can't expect the harvest in 30 days. The harvest don't come in 30 days. You got to plant your seed, and sometimes the harvest don't come for years. Everything is not instant. So here's what I do. I get a row, and I drop seeds in the ground. Then I go back and I cover them up with dirt because the dirt, you need the dirt. Then once I cover it up, I dig another row and I plant some more seeds. I got about 10 rows planted. I look back at the first row and it's starting to sprout. Some stuff starting to come out the ground. I don't go back to that first row and just start eating because it ain't really bearing no fruit right now. You can't eat the stalks and the leaves. You got to wait till it bear fruit. In the meantime, you got to keep planting. Now, you're going to look up in about five years, you're going to look back and something you planted five years ago going to have a lot of fruit on it. Then you can go back and start partaking of that fruit. But the reason you got to keep planting is because sometimes you're going to get rained out. Sometimes it's going to be a drought. Sometimes, man, the pesticides slash haters is going to do what they do to your planted crops. Now, you got to mentally be prepared for that. But the planting process can never stop. If I could tell anybody anything, keep planting seeds and never stop planting because you have no idea when God going to drop all the necessary rain and you look up and everything you need is right there. So let me ask you this, because um, I feel like there's a lesson in every story and um, there's something that you can take from every story and learn from every story. And sometimes what we think is reality isn't reality. And it's, it's important for people to know the truth and it's important for people to learn from other people's experiences because it could potentially happen to you. So a few years ago, we, uh, we had a former president, Donald Trump, and um, it was very controversial when you took a picture with him. And uh, you got a lot of backlash, a lot of hate, all kinds of negative energy. But when, I, when we met you, you explained to us the story. And when you explained to us the story, it was so crazy because it just goes to show you how something can be changed and a narrative can be painted and people just run with half of what they see and they don't even understand it. Can you explain that infamous moment <laughs> well, first of all, if I listened to my wife, 
it wouldn't have been no infamous moment. First lesson. That's the first lesson. start. Lesson number one. <laughs> That's number one. But here's what happened. Before he got sworn in, he had appointed Ben Carson to the head of HUD. And HUD is housing and urban development. It's the only black on the cabinet. So I said, let me go up there and meet Ben Carson. So when I got to Trump Towers, I went in, sat down to meet with him, and he said, why are you here? I said, I want to meet Ben Carson, because I have an idea. He got Ben Carson on the phone. Me and Ben Carson talked right away. I told him the idea I had. I wanted to take some of these schools that they had destroyed and shut down in black neighborhoods, and I wanted to take them and turn them into what I call vision centers, where we would create financial literacy, after-school programs, you know, and get these young cats off the street so they have something to do, and then give the parents some financial literacy. He fell in love with the idea. I leave the building, I'm on the elevator, Donald Trump say, I'll ride down with you. I said, I'll be damned. <laughs> so he gets on the elevator, he riding down with him. Now, before I got on the elevator, I told the reporters, I'll be back over and tell you why I'm here. I walk up to the reporters, he walks in front of me. He the president, to be right. So he walks in front of me, now I'm standing there. First word out his mouth was, we gonna repeal and replace Obamacare. I, I didn't say shit about that. <laughs> I, I didn't mention none of that. You know, oh, what you talking about, man? You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting there going, I'll be damned. And all I heard was my wife going, don't go up there yet. So when he left, I stood up and told the reporters what the deal was. By the time I got to my car, because this happened on my 60th birthday was that weekend. My wife had a nice trip for me. All I had to do was go get on that damn boat, like she said. That's all my ass had to do. But oh no, I'm gonna go up here for black people. Before I got in the car, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, man. I was a coon, I was a jigaboo, I was a spook, I was an Uncle Tom, and, and, and that shit hurt me to the core. Because all I do when I wake up is walk out the door as a black man to represent the black culture, to be something that some young person can look at and go, yeah, I'll do it that way. My whole hustle and grind has been for black people. And so it kind of hurt me, man. And so here's, here's fast forward. Turns out the vision centers was the only initiative Ben Carson had his entire run. They changed the name of it from vision centers to envision centers. You can go online and look them up. They opened up three of them. All the ideas I had given them, they enabled it. Then they asked me to come take a picture with Ben Carson in front of the schools. And I said, no, nah, because y'all had ate my ass up so bad before. Y'all ain't getting no more pictures of me. My family got attacked and all this here. But that, that was a hurtful moment for me because I went up there to get housing and benefit for black people. 
and then they turned on me like that. You know, but I always know how to hang in there. You know, it's kind of like, I know it's a lot of hip hop cats in here, but old school music still registers very deep in my soul. I'm an R&B guy. So there's a song that Temptations had out and I had to sing it to myself. I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg and plead for your sympathy, I don't mind because you mean that much to me. So I just hung in there with black people. I just stayed in there with y'all's ass because I knew eventually y'all was going to have to get all right. Well, some of y'all didn't, <laughs> but it's cool though. Well, but I want to ask you about that because when you reach levels of success, especially now, you're going to get some level of hate online. Yeah. You're going to get some level of hate on YouTube. You're going to get critics. And it has, it has an effect on, on, your, on your psyche. So how would, you, how would you coach people through? What advice would you give to the young people that haven't experienced that yet, but they might be in sports, they might be in music, they might be entrepreneurs, they might be online. At some point when that comes, what do you do to just well, keep going? It's interesting because I was talking to Waka Flocka backstage and he came up to me and said, hey man, you don't know what you mean to me. I've never met the brother before. And he was saying, you don't know what you mean to me. He said, man, I follow you, I listen to you, man. He said, man, you changed from just a comedian to a real man, and you made me start looking at some things I wanna do. And then we shook hands, he was fitting to walk away, and he turned around and he said, you know what else I like about you, man? You ain't vengeful. You're not vengeful. And that, that kind of stuck with me. So I said, how you mean? He said, man, you could come back at so many people, but I'll never see you going out to attack people. Because I learned a long time ago from a minister. He said, stay on the wall. When they throwing rocks at you, stay on the wall. If you come down off the wall to address haters and small people, see they eye level with you now. Now they can throw the rocks and they hurt. But if you just stay on the wall, what can they do? And you got to understand some young people about haters. Haters are not decision makers, power brokers, or shakers and movers. They have no determining factor on your life, where you headed, or what God planned for you. Stop giving haters power. Stop even, don't even talk to their ass. I don't give it, look man, I'm 65. I don't give a damn what you say about me. You ain't, you're not stopping nothing. Look, what God has for you, it is yours. All God's plans for you, his purpose, if you just open up yourself to him, he gonna make all of them come true. But if you stop and keep addressing haters, you will never be open to your purpose and your mission in life. So my directive is to stay on the wall. When they attack me for whatever, I stay on the wall, because they do it all the time, man. Especially people I thought I was cool with, other celebrities. You know, they got little stuff to say, but I, then I look at their career, and they have time to say little stuff. They have time. See, let me tell you something, man. People that's busy, they ain't got time. They got, Denzel ain't got time to talk about me. Magic Johnson ain't got time to talk about me. Tyler Perry ain't got time to talk about me. Cause they building their empire. Man, let me tell you something, man. One time I was finna respond to something on the blog 
Tyler Perry called me and said, hey man, what you getting ready to do? I said, I'm going on CNN with Anderson Cooper and I'm going to straighten <laughs> this whole thing out in them blogs. He said, no, you're not. He said, you know why? He said, listen to me, Steve. When they talk about you as a blog, if you open your mouth, it's a press conference. You got to know who you are. So I say to all people out there, know who you are and know where God taking you. Get up on the wall and stay yeah. there. That's powerful. So, so speaking of staying on the wall, uh, another one of those stories about changing something that could be seen as a negative in your career that actually turned to something incredibly positive. 2015 Miss Universe, right? You, huh. you said, <laughs> this, this just won't ever go away. <laughs> so you share with us the, the story behind it, obviously, the mishap and, you know, you read Miss Columbia and, you know, we know that part of it. But there was another side to it, how that affected your career in a positive way. You want, can you talk about that? Yeah, see, it was crazy because I'm a really, really bright person. I really am. I've been on TV a long time. I know how to read. Matter <laughs> of fact, I read very well. And better than reading, I listen extremely well. The teleprompter said, and the new 2015 Miss Universe is, now I got an IFB in my ear. I got two names on the card. I got a third name. The lady used to work for the pageant when Donald Trump owned it, decided she didn't want to do it like that that night. She put the third name on the corner of the card. Well, they handed me the card. My thumb covered the third name, which is irrelevant anyway because the teleprompter said, and the new 2015 Miss Universe is, the IBF director said, read the second name on the card, Steve. Okay, oh, Miss Columbia. <laughs> Miss Columbia. <sighs> Great job, Steve, go in the back. I go in the back. I'm in the back for two minutes. My boy that worked for me, stage manager, he said, yo, dog. You said the wrong name. I said, I ain't said shit wrong. I, fuck, I say the wrong name. Fuck, I read the name on the card and I did what the director told me to do. He said, man. So I got up and I started walking back out front. The director said, what are you doing? I said, I'm gonna go out here and give it to the right one. He said, don't worry about it. We'll straighten it out tomorrow in the paper. Well, that's, that ain't right. So. I took my dumb ass out there and said, I made a mistake. When in actuality, the lady that printed the card should have never put a third name on the card because that's not how we rehearsed it. And the teleprompter should have never said what he said. And the director should have never told me what he told me. But I took the whole bullet. Now, behind every moment of adversity, in your life is two things behind that. There is a lesson and there is a blessing. You got to wait to get both of those. But if you let the moment of adversity define you and destroy you and make you crumble, you never are available for the lesson or the blessing. So the next week, I've been in the house for a week and my wife will tell you, we have 24 hour armed guards at our house 
year round, ever since 2015. Because them Colombians, man, oh, they was coming for me. They ass was serious. Them, the death threats was real. Them damn Colombians, man, shit, I, I quit drinking Colombian coffee. <laughs> they, they had my ass concerned. So even to this day, we in 2022, I still have full-time armed security around my homes because they threaten my family. Now you can't, can't threaten my family, dog. You can threaten me, but you can't come for them. I'm not that dude. I try to be a Christian, but I just, I ain't there yet. I'm an entry-level Christian. I don't really know how to do advanced Christianity. I don't think I'm ever going to be good at advanced Christianity. Because if you slap me, I'm not turning the other cheek. I just need to let your ass know that now. And if you cuss me, I'm finna cuss you. That, that's how this working. But you need Christians like me. You know that ain't all the way in. You need a Christian that'll backhand your ass, that'll, you know, bust your tire. So, We've, we, I, I, wouldn't address, I wouldn't address it until I was able to have Miss Columbia come on my talk show. And that was the only time I addressed it, and she couldn't come until February. But then the Super Bowl came about. Now, let me give you one other story. After I made the announcement the wrong name, I had been praying to God to increase my global brand and persona, right? I wanted God to make me more globally famous because I saw myself becoming a global businessman. After the Miss Universe fiasco, within 48 hours, my name had been Googled four billion times. I was the most Google subject in the world for 48 hours. God had increased my global brand and persona. And I sure didn't appreciate the way he did it either. I thought that was pretty funky, Lord. Just thought I'd say that. Didn't really appreciate that. But after that, we started getting letters from other countries inviting me and my wife to vacation homes. They gave us 13 villas all around the world. We can come vacation anytime we want. And then T-Mobile came along and said, we'd like to take your mistake and turn it into good. And I said, how so? They said, we want you to do a T-Mobile commercial. I said, well, that's interesting. How much does that pay? <laughs> so I did the T-Mobile commercial. <laughs> I don't give a damn if we do a whole reenactment of that damn night. The money they paid me. So young people, the, the, the lesson I learned from that was even in some of your darkest moments, when you make mistakes, you have got to stick around for the two things that the mistake is made for. Every failure is made for. Every misstep is made for. It is made for a lesson and a blessing. Them two things follow every single one of them, every single time. God don't send down rain without a return. When he send down rain, flowers grow. Trees get bigger. You've got to understand what the rain and the dirt is for. People get so angry when people start throwing dirt on you. 
Man, quit tripping. Dirt is fertilizer. If you ever want to be something, you're going to have to get some dirt on you. Because that dirt that, that smothers you, it teaches you how to push through. You ain't finna have no smooth life. You can get that out your mind. It ain't finna be rosy for you. Nobody finna just come up to you and hand you no damn money. But here, you feel like being a millionaire? Here. You gotta strike out to be successful. And when you strike out, you got to get ready for it to get real funky and real hard, because that's what's gonna happen. That's why it ain't for everybody, but that's why all these people sitting in here are so valuable. You've invested in learning some traits. And I, look, I could tell you a lot of stuff, but there's nothing more important than to mental, to master the mental aspect of success. I don't give a damn what degree you got. Degrees don't make money. People make money. Degree. Look, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg ain't got a degree between the two of them. But they got more degrees working for them. You saw that little dude came out here 30 years old? He graduated magnum cum laude at Mohawk. I ain't graduated from nothing. <laughs> he, he had a, a 4.0. He said, Mr. Harvey, what was your grade point in school? I said, I had a 4.0. He said, wow, you had a 4.0 in high school? I said, yeah, when you total all three years. <laughs> Shit, I was struggling, man. <laughs> but if you're in here and you're investing in yourself, that's the beginning of it because you've got to get the mental together, man. This thing that's going on inside your head is the whole determining factor, man. Don't nothing else matter. Don't, I can tell you everything until you believe it, we wasting time. If you don't believe yourself can be rich, why don't you get them and go home? If you don't believe you can have two houses, just get up and go home. If you don't believe that you should have the life of your dreams, get up and go home. If you don't think God is real, get up and go home. Get, you, I'll give you your money back. How much was it? <laughs> we're going to retract that statement because yeah, we're not giving so, no damn money so back in here. let's just be clear about that my bad dog I forgot I had invested I'm sorry <laughs> retract that from the court's records <laughs> um, but also the lesson and the blessing from a business standpoint it also helped you get a better deal from this universe too right well See, I can say it now because the stocks are vetted. After the mishap, I said I didn't want to do it no more because I was put out on Front Street and they left me out there to dry. Didn't nobody volunteer and say it was my fault. Teleprompter didn't step forward. The director damn sure didn't come forward. So I said, I ain't doing it. So they said, well, suppose we play you double. I said, I still ain't doing it. They said, suppose we play you triple. I said, I still ain't going to do it. He said, Mr. Harvey, we'll pay you millions to come back and do that. I said, I'm still not going to do it. They said, what do you want? I said, ownership. So now I own Miss Universe, Miss USA. It's all good. It's Team USA. Let the church say amen. It's all good. You better praise him. You better throw some water on somebody. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's it. We, got a, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in here. Put your hands up if you have your own business right now. A lot. Look at this. My God. A lot of entrepreneurs in here. A lot of times people say, don't, don't, you know, don't start companies with your family or your friends. And sometimes it can be beneficial, but sometimes it can't. You invested with one of your friends. So can we talk about that experience? There was a, there was a latex company and, and the timing of it, obviously. Investing with your friends and what you learned from that investment, because obviously it didn't work out, right? I'll let you tell the story, but the lessons that I learned from going through something like that and how it changes you, right? Do you well, change? the friend I invested with, he's passed now. And I did it because we were friends. If it had worked, it would have been more life-changing for him than for me. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes, man, you do things when you get on the other side of the money trail where you can start investing instead of hustling for every dollar. You're going to make mistakes in investing. You're going to make some major mistakes. Again, had I listened to somebody that I sleep with, <laughs> I wouldn't have done this. Uh, and one thing about my girl, man, she done pretty much forewarned me about everything I've went on and done anyway. But I felt good about the investment, but the investment didn't pan out at all. And it was a latex glove plant that we bought uh, down in Eufaula, uh, Alabama. I bought it, and then we hired the wrong people, and they messed up the molds and all this here, which was crazy because a few years later, here come COVID. And now there's a shortage of latex gloves. Now I got the plant down here that's supposed to be making latex gloves, but we didn't hire the wrong people and, and they broke all the molds and, and, we, and it just never panned out. The thing I learned from that, the way I invest now, look, I appreciate you being my friend I appreciate you being my family, but I got to do my due diligence now. I got a whole team of people that do research, that study, that look at the analytics of it, and do, and do a lot of background checking. And then if it's good, you know, I might, I might have some money to invest. And I'm not going to give you no life-changing money, but like I try to tell young people all the time, when you meet somebody that's successful, Quit asking for money. Ask for information. See, if money is like me giving you a fish sandwich. Information is teaching you how to fish. There's a major difference in that. And rich people used to people asking them for money, so they got all kinds of ways of playing your ass off. You know, every time somebody comes, well, this, hey man, let me holler at you. What? Let me holler at you? You sound like a relative trying to borrow 20. Now you got a business proposal. Do your due diligence when investing. Do some research and, and lose the most useless, I want you to lose the most useless emotion ever created and it's called guilt. Stop feeling guilty, man. Guilt serves no person. No purpose except for the person that's trying to make you feel guilty and that's all to manipulate you so they can get what they want. I've lost all my guilt. You can think what you want to think about me. I don't give a damn. I'm not guilty about nothing. Why am I guilty? Because your ass is poor. 
I was poor for 38 years. I got my first car in my name when I was 38. Now you sitting up in here 30 telling me your problems and I'm supposed to feel messed up about that, just help you. And then quit walking up to people. I had a young kid came up to me a, a year ago. Hey, Mr. Harvey, you got 15 minutes? 15, no. <laughs> no. I don't even no. know you. <laughs> no, I don't. You got 15 no, I minutes. Don't got I said, it. no, no, I don't. Oh, you don't want to make $20 million? <laughs> Little boy. <laughs> Do you have $20 million? No, sir. Then why would you show me how to get it? See, if you come up to me talking about, do I want $20 million? If I know how to make $20 million, the first person I'm going to make it for is me. And I'm going to probably make about 13 of them before I tell anybody how to do it. And he come up to me talking about, you don't want to make $20, 000, $20 million. Boy, this pie in the sky. You know, I know how, I tell my kids all the time, it take a long time to make a lot of money. Get off Instagram. That car, you don't know how close that car is to being repoed. Get off Instagram. Dang, that ain't even a car. Look in the background. Them is street signs. Who parks their car in front of street signs? Rich people got yards and courtyards. And ain't nobody got their car on the street taking a picture on the damn sidewalk. But you see that and you get caught up in it, y'all. It take a long time to make a lot of money. Look at everybody that's really got a lot of money. Now, if you want to use that one example of Kanye got this and Kanye got that and somebody got this and that, that's some exceptions. But chances of you being that exception is rare. Buckle up, knuckle down, get ready for the grind, and go on and make your dreams come true. And enjoy the process. So let me, let me ask you this. Um, the last time we spoke, you couldn't really talk because the show didn't come out yet, but you was very enthusiastic about your Judge show, which is a hit. Congratulations. Um, Clap it up for that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Damn, that's an everyday thing. <laughs> but, but there's a business lesson behind that as well because you said that was the first show where you have like complete ownership of. And you said that that was the one that's going to take you out of here. And it's crazy because it's like, you know, you had all of these other shows and the Steve Harvey show, but you never had ownership in that. So why was it important for you to have ownership? And what's the dynamics of the judge show as opposed to the other shows that you had in the past? See, the Steve Harvey show was me and Sid Entertainer, and Wendy Raquel and Terry and Marilyn Santana and Will Scott. This was a show that ABC had created. So I came along, I was just coming out of homelessness, man. I was just, I just, man, y'all gonna pay me how much? My first TV show, they gave me $75,000 every Thursday. I'm signing. I'm, I, ain't, I ain't got no money, I'm signing. I, every time they paid me, I was crying. I couldn't believe this, man. Didn't know nothing about no business. Then I got another show and I had, I had 12% but it was after AMRG and all that, and by the time they get through doing their math, I never saw money on that. Family Feud is my biggest product, but it was owned by six families, Denmark, Fremantle, so all I could do with Family Feud was make money. 
I ain't complaining because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing well. But, and then you look at little big shots, I add a third of that, but that's a whole nother story the way NBC tried to play me. Uh, they thought they was going to ruin my whole career by getting rid of little big shots and uh, Steve Harvey talk show at the same time. That's okay. They didn't know what God was fitting to do, so I let them Amen. go ahead and do Amen. that. Go ahead. See, that's another lesson you got to learn. When somebody closed the door in your face, stop standing at the door beating on it. The reason the door closes is because God wants you to walk up the hall. It's some more doors. He got a bigger door, a better door with more stuff in it. Stop beating on doors and go up the hall. So that's neither there, you know, there. But when the judge show came up, I was out at Tyler Perry Studios uh, shooting uh, Family Feud on no, my Facebook watch show. And uh, ABC asked for a meeting and they had 13, 13 executives on a Zoom call. And you, that's unheard of. I had the president of the network, the head of comedy development, the head of writers, and I had a dude on there from uh, uh, all these other departments. And then the dude from business affairs was on the phone. Wait a minute, that's the dude that cut the deal. So I knew this was about business. So they pitched me to do a sitcom on ABC. And they went through this whole 30 minutes about pitching this sitcom. And when they got through, I said, I don't want to do that. And they went, what? No, we're going to green light the show, Mr. Harvey. And we want you to star in it, and we'll give you a full season. I said, I don't want to do that. They said, why? I said, I don't want to work like that no more. And the only sitcom I ever enjoyed was when me and Sid was on TV together. That was my best friend. We made money, and we enjoyed working together. Kings of Comedy was at the same time. So we was just, we was clocking it back then. But we was having fun. So they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I've been thinking about this idea for about 12 years. And they said, what is it? I said, I want to be a judge on TV. Now, everybody supposed to be on mute, right? But this white dude, he didn't put his Zoom on mute. And when I said, I want to be a judge, he said, is this guy even a fucking lawyer? <laughs> the fuck is he talking about? He said this shit on the Zoom. I was bent, I was bent over laughing. It's the funniest shit I've ever heard. I was knocking shit over laughing. Cause that's a real, real comment. Cause he don't work with the company no more. <laughs> Cause I was the only one who thought it was funny. The president of ABC went, I want to know who said that. <laughs> so, so she said, so we got to talking about it. And then a, about an hour into the conversation, the guy from Comedy Development says, well, what makes you think you could be a judge on TV? I said, shit, Donald Trump was president. Y'all let his ass be president. How the hell I can't be a judge on TV? They said, let us think about it. The next day, they called my lawyer, Brandon, and said, we're green lighting the show. We'll give him a full season right now. I said, hold up, not so fast. I say, I want to own the IP. I want to own advertising rights. 
I want executive producer credits, I want hosting credits, and I want my contract drawn up every single time ABC get a check, I get the same check. I don't want the other check. Well, Steve, you're going to get paid for hosting and executive producing, and you're going to get your IP check and create it by? I'm going to get all that. I got that. <laughs> but when y'all get that advertising dollars, whatever check you cut to yourself, you got to cut that check, same check to me. Well, Steve, that's 50-50. I, I don't know how you want to look at it. <laughs> Not really sure. <laughs> but we're going to put it on paper. Do you know I did a whole season still with no contract because they just can't bring themselves to sign it. But now the show is a hit. It's the number one show on ABC for the night. So now, what you going, you can't walk away from the hit. So now, they just presented the contract last week to my lawyer. And so this is the first time after all these years that I own something completely and totally. And, uh, that's the one me and Marjorie going. Congratulations. Congratulations on that. We're going to ride out of yeah. here. Yeah. And I know Thanks my kids is here. Hold on. I know a lot of my kids is here listening. And uh, I just said me and your mama <laughs> going to ride out on this one. Don't, <laughs> be count, don't, don't count shit. <laughs> just want to so, be clear about so, that. You, you, you brought up ownership. And you can edit out the cussing because <laughs> I done got too comfortable. You brought up ownership and you spoke about Family Feud. And we, last time we spoke, we were talking about how you've created uh, Family Feud in South Africa and you're trying to expand it to other countries. Can you talk about the importance of investing in Africa and the infrastructure and how for the future that's where we need to be doing? Because we try to preach it and I feel like people are still looking at it as the old perspective, not knowing that when we go there, and we highlight the great things that are going on, we have an opportunity to change the perspective and actually build this gold continent that we know it is. You know, um, what I had to do was I went to Family Feud and I bought the international rights to Family Feud. That way I could own something because I can't own the Family Feud. But I was told by everybody, nobody shoots TV in Africa. It just won't work. They don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the capabilities. They just, they don't have that Hollywood dust. And that's true. Nobody has the Hollywood dust like Hollywood. See, what you all got to understand, the majority of shows you see over here, these hit shows, they buy the uh, format at the MIP conference. They bring it back to America change the name of it, put that Hollywood dust on it, make it a hit, and then sell it back to them. Oh, these white folks, oh, they, 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 they're incredible. It's the most amazing thing. <laughs> really, you don't have to just clap for their ass. They buy it from them, fix it, dust it off, sprinkle it, and sell it back to them, and they buy it. America got talent, man. All that voice, all that, that ain't from here. They bought that. But nobody does TV bigger than them. So they kept telling me they don't have it. Well, nobody does. 
But what they kept pushing was these African people, they can't make this set. They don't know enough about lighting. They don't have competent camera people. They are so 100% wrong. Them Africans got everything. They got everything. They got the bandwidth, they got the talent, they got the grips, they know how to light. Let me tell you something, man. If you look at the Family Feud Africa clips, the set is colder than the clips I, I walk out on every day. The Africa set is better. They hard workers, they get it, man. It's just nobody believed in them. Now you can go over there and you can make TV a lot more reasonable, but you're gonna have to come see me because I've created a company that ain't gonna let your ass go over there without seeing me. So in case you think you finna go over there and pimp the game, not gonna happen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can go over there, but it still ain't gonna happen. Um, <laughs> no, nah, man, but it took, some, it took a year to figure it out. And then the second year became noticeably better. But we took a show that they said you cannot do and turn it into the number one show in both countries, South Africa and Ghana. We only shot it in two countries as the number one show. But Africa is a place, do you all understand something? See, they keeping us away from each other. And COVID hit and I was just about to do a deal with South African Air to bring African Americans, first of all, to Ghana because you have to go see the slave castles. Every black person living should go to Ghana and see them slave castles so you can see what they did to us. You got to see what they did to us. You got to see how they built these dungeons underground and they put these churches on top and they dug holes in the ground to pump the music or they, what they call they Christianity into the holes while, man, they did. Let me explain something to y'all. They put, they walk them as far as they can first to make them lose weight. They put them in a room, then they cut a door, and after you've been in this room in two weeks, they walk you through this door. If you lose the right amount of weight, you fit through the door. If you don't fit through the door, you got to stay in this room right here. Then you're in this room for another week, they make you lose some more weight. Then you fit through another door. If you can't fit through the door, you ain't lost enough weight. You got to go through four doors like that before you go through the door of no return. And they steady sitting up there talking about Jesus. Jesus, me and my wife, we wouldn't even go in their church. Not going in this hell bound church. You sitting up here talking about Jesus and you'd have done this to us under this ground like this. Hey man, let me explain something to y'all. What was done to us is unthinkable for us to be sitting here alive and thriving is a testament to the greatness of us as a people we some bad we some bad people sitting in here because i'm telling you right now it would have cracked and broke anybody else nobody could have withstood what we withstood and still be standing and they know it that's why we got voter suppression. That's why they keep our prisons filled with our brothers and sisters, because they know it. That's why, see, I'm on something else now, but let me just tell you the truth. 
So here's the problem. That's why the tax system will never change. So if you live in a poor neighborhood, they can't pay as much taxes as the neighborhood in the suburbs. When they get the money into the state, they allocate the money for education and facilities back to the patients who paid the most taxes. We ain't gonna ever pay the most taxes because they ain't gonna let the property values be worth a damn and they're gonna keep us in a circle. And that's why they gotta keep us like that because they know when we slip through the cracks on their ass, we too much. When you go to Mohouse and Spelman and Howard and Tennessee and, and Prairie View and Southern and you go out there and you become doctors and lawyers, they know who you are. You more. I met a brother today that's the head of diversity for Nike. How he get there? How y'all get in here? Cause of this thing that's in you that won't let you lay down and die. Cause when they incarcerate your daddy and oh, oh, and then that's the other thing. So now since you live in this certain neighborhood, you on welfare, we'll give you a check, but a man can't live in the house. Oh, I'll be damned. So now that don't promote families, does it? So now we live in these fractured societies and we keep trying to make something out of nothing, but we keep showing up though. We keep showing up and y'all got to keep on showing up because we it, man. I ain't gonna lie to you, we it. We them people, we them people. And we, gonna, and we gonna keep coming and we gonna keep coming and a damn thing you can do about it. Shit, I got mad now. This is gone. I don't even smoke. You know, I ain't never had weed in my life, man. I ain't never had it. I know some people. Huh? I said, I might know some people. <laughs> Allegedly. So, while we're on the international vibe, during our legendary episode, we spoke about your relationship with the UAE, Abu Dhabi, um, but we never actually spoke about how that relationship started. And I think it's an interesting story. Can you talk about how you became so revered in the Middle East and how you've built such good relationships with the royal family over there? Well, you know, it, it just comes down to respect. You can't believe the propaganda that people say about other places. You think the Middle East is everybody walking out in the courtyard pulling cords, blowing up stuff. That's the ones they show you. You ever been to the UAE? You ever been to a place that's got 0.6% crime? You ever been to a place where the last car that was stolen in Dubai was 30 years ago? You ever been to Abu Dhabi where they've never had a stolen car? There are no bank robberies, there are no murders, there's no holdups. Now, you can't come over there smoking no weed. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be your last stick. But if you go over there and respect what they have, I, I just enjoy going to a place that has that much peace in it, that I can walk somewhere and ain't nobody gonna jack me. So as my family started going over there 12 years ago, I guess, around 12 years ago, it was just to visit. And then I was over there and I kept coming so much. They come, why do you come here? You like it? I said, no, I respect it. Then I sat down and I, and I met a lot of the Muslims. 
And once I understood what Islam was, and I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm not changing my faith. My, my faith been working for me. But I have the uh, sense to respect another faith. Islam is good. Islam is about peace and love. Islam is about respect. You got to let them have that. You ain't, you ain't God. You ain't got no heaven for nobody. You can't pass no judgment. The people got something going on over there. So I just started learning myself more and more about how they were. And then uh, I was over there shooting a, uh, they asked me to do something in Dubai for the UAE to do a promotional film. And you know, I did it. Wasn't what I wanted to make, but I was over there, I like them. And my wife and I were sitting there outside the Louvre and a car pulled up and said, uh, his highness would like to see Steve Harvey. Well, that shut the whole set down. <laughs> I'm in a car and I go visit him. And uh, the way I met him originally, though, was we were at Formula One. And one of my favorite pictures is him. He was pinning me. And the guy wanted me to go meet him. And there's people lined up to see this man. And I didn't know much about him. I said, no, I don't want to bother the man. He said, no. So the uh, ambassador from the United States walked me up to him. And I got ready to introduce myself. I said, how you doing, sir? My name is Steve Harvey. I'm from the United States. He said, I know exactly who you are. He said, your story is incredible. He told me I was homeless. He told me he couldn't believe how I, as a black man in this country, had risen from the dirt to where I was. He told that to me. Now I'm standing up here, you know me, I'm crying because I'm sitting there, I can't believe this dude's even talking to me. And that's how it started. And then it just evolved from there. And this man is one of the kindest men that has power that I've ever seen. The way he treats his people, look, they have a monarchy, right? And you think, well, listen, but then, hey, they got a monarchy in, in, in England too. But guess what? He take care of his people. They don't want for nothing. Ain't no crime, ain't no homelessness, ain't no unemployment. If you ain't working in the UAE, it's because you don't want a job. Everybody over there got jobs, and he takes care of their people, and his kindness is overwhelming. And I tied it to Africa, because he knew in Botswana that I had a relationship with Botswana. When COVID first hit, Botswana had put in an order to China, and the Chinese just took their money, told them since they was inland, they couldn't deliver them no PPE supplies. PP, whatever that is, mask and all that. So I called up the government of UAE and said, man, can you help these people? We're going to lose a whole country. Botswana, but two and a half million people. They was over there losing people. I said, man, we got to get them some supplies. They got the ruler on the phone, and he told me not to tell it. He said, I want this to be from you, Steve. This is how he is. He put two cargo planes loaded with seven tons of PP supplies, flew them from Abu Dhabi, landed in Botswana, and gave it to them for zero. He didn't charge them one single quarter. Now, you sh what ruler you know do that? What ruler does that, man, cares about another group of people?
And he says, Steve, this is from you, you and your wife. So we got on Facebook, we did the Zoom with them, they thanked us and everything. But I couldn't just keep taking credit for that. I, I, don't, I don't even know where to get seven tons of nothing. So let me quit playing this out like it's me. No, man, it was this man whose brother recently passed and now he's the president of the UAE, one of the most powerful men in the world. And when I tell you power, because they got oil. They got oil. But when you meet these people, they are the kindest, most sincere people I've ever been around, ever. And I, I, I would stand up and say that about this man anywhere I go in the world. I wouldn't care who didn't like it. Forget everything you've ever heard. After you go to Africa, you got to go to Ghana first, then you need to go to Botswana because you need to see what we, Botswana is the second richest diamond producer nation in the world. Them black people over there got something. And then you got to go to Johannesburg. That's what you got, you got to do that jump right there. Once you see that, you'll understand who we are. Them Africans ain't stole nothing from us. They talk about Burner Boy stole this. No, we stole from Burner Boy. Them, Af them Africans is us, man. They, they the beat, they the rhythm, they the soul, they the hard work. They, we get our courage from them. When you see them people, they look just like your family. I was walking down uh, Johannesburg, I thought I was in Detroit. <laughs> what up, They though? walk like <laughs> us, they look like us. They, they got moves like us. It's just, you gotta see it. And we gotta, my goal is to help bridge this gap because we got to touch base with them because they love y'all, man. You don't even know. They thank y'all to catch me out. They thank y'all to lick. You know why? Because they know what you went through. They know where them slaves ship picked you up at. They know they brought you to a land. They know what they did to you. And y'all still over here shining. If we take this shine back over there and give them the love and teach them that dust, we'd have a powerful union, man. That has to happen. SH, Steve Harvey Ventures has had incredible success, obviously in a media platform, number one show after number one show. I wonder, is there anything that's missing from your portfolio? Is this something that you have, like on the vision board, that you have yet to accomplish? Well, my wife and I bought a ranch, and it used to be owned by the Kathy family, which owns Chick-fil-A. He'll be here tomorrow. Thank, uh -huh. you. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, I was doing my mentoring camp down there for three years. And it was such a beautiful place, man. It's 1,600 acres. And when I tell you, man, oh my goodness. Oh my, it's incredibly beautiful. And um, a few years ago, I was down there doing the camp and I approached them about buying, you know, a couple hundred acres. If I could just get a couple hundred acres. And uh, it didn't work out at the time. But see, God, let me tell you something, man. I don't care what your plan is. 
God plan way colder than your plan. So he didn't let the 200 acres go down. So what he was doing was setting it up that I didn't know about. So Marjorie and I bought uh, months back, we bought the whole thing, the whole 1,600 acres. And we changed the name of it from the Rock Ranch to the Stephen Marjorie Harvey Legacy Ranch. That's the theme that Marjorie and I are gonna hang our hat on. So let me tell you what we wanna do. We've already started the process. We're in zoning meetings down there. We're taking this property and we're leasing it to our foundation for one dollar. Because the foundation don't need that hit. We, we, we took the money ourselves. We leasing it to our foundation for one dollar. We have the plans to build dormitories that sleeps 350 boys or girls. We, we already know we can't bring them together. We figured that out. They have to come separately. I ain't, I ain't finna be explaining this to nobody, mama and all this here. We, the boys and girls come separately. We're building dormitories. We're building a STEM center to teach STEM. We're building an e-sports complex. We're building gymnasiums. We're building a division one weight class weight room. We're building a, a 700 seat theater to teach and show uh, presentations in. We're building a brand new dining hall facility. Uh, that's gonna cost a lot of money. Do we have that money? No. But you know, man, that's the other thing I learned. You know, when God tells you to do something, you got to do it. See, the how-to ain't really your business. And that's what really messes a lot of people up. You get something in your imagination or something you start dreaming about, and then you start figuring out the how-to. Well, I got news for you. The how-to ain't none of your business. The how-to is up to God. You got to be willing to do the work and put in the faith. See, that's really all it is. I know a lot of people got educations broke as hell. So I've already figured it out. It ain't your education. As a matter of fact, education ain't even in the Bible. They ain't never mentioned Emory in the Bible. They got no scriptures about Harvard, Yale. It's not, Morehouse ain't even in the Bible. As much as you like it to be, it's not in there. But you know what's in there though? Dreams, visions. A man without a dream or a vision shall perish. It don't say a man without education will perish. So quit, quit worrying about if you don't have the education, if you don't have all the credentials. You need the vision and you got to be ready to work. And look man, when God puts something in your imagination, when he put it in your heart, you got to go for it. I was talking to you before the thing started. You know the hardest thing to get people about success, the hardest thing is to start. Start, man. Most people are frozen with fear and you frozen with the how-to. You can't figure out how to make a million dollars so you never start. You ain't got to know how to make a million dollars. Who told you that? You got to start, man. You got to take a leap of faith. Quit tripping yourself out of the blessing because you worrying about the how-to. God ain't nowhere in the Bible told you to figure it out. 
He said, ask, believe, receive. Then he said, faith without works is dead. You ain't got to know the whole Bible. I don't know but six scriptures. I think I'd have done all six of them already. That's all you got to know, man. You, you getting tricked. Got these people thinking you got to be saved at this church. You got to speak in tongues at that church. You got to be over here doing it at this way. That's not true. God is a forgiving God, man. God in the blessing business. God don't care if you don't go to Holy Rock or Mount Givalot Baptist Church. God don't care if you don't go to Apostolic. Y'all tripping, man. And you missing out on blessings, man, because you are worried about the how-to. When you gonna start? Yeah, but I'm trying to line all my ducks up. You're not finna get them lined up. I need some money. You, you don't have no money. If you cut hair, then go cut somebody's hair. Make $10. I think I did this on your podcast. Once, you can, once God give you a skill to make $10, all you got to do is do it 10 more times. Guess what? You got 100 Once you make $100, you ain't got to change it. You don't need a million dollars. You just need another $10 idea. Guess what you got? $10 idea. I cut hair. Boom. Cut 10 more heads. $1,000. Do it 10 more times, you got $10,000. Whatever you did to make $10,000, I got news for you. This is the hard part. You got to do that 10 more times. If you do that 10 more times, you now have $100,000. Now here come the hard part. Whatever you did to make the $100,000, hit a secret. You got to do that 10 more times. Congratulations, you are now a millionaire with a $10 idea because all you can do is cut hair. If you bake pie, bake pie. If you fry chicken better than anybody else, why ain't your ass out there, out there frying chicken? If you draw better than anybody else, why ain't you drawing selling your art? Y'all tripping sitting up in here trying to figure out how to make a million dollars. Hell, if you knew how to make a million dollars, wouldn't you do it by mm, tomorrow? <laughs> no, man. Take your $10 gift, your $100 gift, and go on about your business. When I started comedy, man, I made $25 a night. $25 a night. I just kept working, 100, 150 a night, 125, 500 a night, 1,000, $10,000 a night. $25,000 a night. I got $250,000 a night. I got half a million dollars. I made a million dollars a day. Same damn jokes. They just English. <laughs> but I did it so many times. Just kept working, 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 working. See, I done been in here before. I sold all this out. I done sold out State Farm Arena. I done sold out to Phillips. Hell, me and the Kings, we, we sold out to Georgia Dome. I'm used to big-ass crowds. But when I first started, it was 12 people in there. 12. We got 44,000 people that know our name. Man, please. And you know what all I did? All I do is tell jokes. They the same damn jokes I've been telling. Say English. I might cuss a little bit more. You know, people at the church, they quit fooling with me. They said, you know, Sister Harvey, yo. Son is out there cussing and 
we don't think that's how we was raised in apostolic faith. Said that in front of my daddy. My daddy said, you know how much money this motherfucker make? <laughs> my daddy put everybody out the living room. There ain't no more Bible study in here. Shit talking about this boy. So, those ladies and gentlemen, we over our time. Make some noise for the legend, Steve Harvey. Get on your feet. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs>